importantly, they delineate between what they're promoting and what the actual news stories are. That's what that's what matters. I guess that's true. Like, you know, if you're going to have sponsored content, at least be transparent about it. But it's, it's I don't care what kanji is selling me. I don't care about Funko Pops. I don't, I'm <laughs> kanji, tired of it. Kanji, it's Kinja. It's, I, don't, I don't care. I haven't bothered <laughs> to actually read how to pronounce the name. It's Kinja Deals. And, you know... If if you're like me, who, who oh you're right oh Kinji deals that makes so much Kinji, more sense. No, Kinji. I feel like an idiot. I've been Get calling it, right. it Kanji right. deals this whole time. Yeah, and I pour one out for old Gawker. I miss Gawker. I, I love that no, website. No, I feel no, I feel no sympathy for Gawker whatsoever. Why not? Okay. Don't post a sex tape and try to claim it's news, okay? <laughs> it was Look, news. Peter Thiel would have people ne- were demanding. The people were demanding it. It's more these billionaire vampires. <laughs> no, they would have. Look, they would have never won that case if they didn't have a case to begin with, and they clearly had a good case. So therefore, Gawker goes. And that's not true. That's Bye. not true. It was a civil case, and it got decided. Just they booked it in Florida or whatever, and um, had a bad witness. And uh, I guess we'll no. look at. The, I guess we can talk about the saga of AJ Delario at another point in time, but it's too sad. It's too sad to dwell on, really. Oh, we're only like three years too late talking about the saga. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's not like it went anywhere. Gizmodo's still around. All those sites That's are still true. around. It's just Gawker's dead. Yeah, this the by fusion. Yeah. Well, John, it came back in the news because somebody wants to do Gawker for good. <gasps> oh. Yeah. They, want they to don't want to post Gawker. sex tape? How brave. How brave they don't want to post sex <laughs> no, tape. No, they want to turn the, the proud Gawker name. You know, you hear Gawker and you immediately associate it with positive things. They want to turn it into Upworthy, basically. Okay. <laughs> I mean, about that's all the a... good work these brands are doing. <laughs> John, have you thought about the brands? What's wrong with Uprocks and Upworthy? And I guess BuzzFeed, too. BuzzFeed's, you know, super positive. Look, it's I, trending. Uh, well, yeah, well, they've, they've diversified their traffic. They have a legitimate news site now. Yeah. Uh, whereas Upworthy is just tanked because no, nobody wants to know about number six. will shock us. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, uh, Facebook changed their algorithm, and that can tank a oh, website exactly, in, like, yeah. two days. <laughs> Once they change it, though, we're all slaves to algorithms, guys. We're yeah. all in loops. Oh, you didn't see. Oh, you missed the Westworld season finale. Ugh, oh, did I out. ever? Oh, no. Oh. Can you believe the reveal about the man in black? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The where, timeline's where all the fucked timeline? again. I know. <laughs> I saw so many headlines them wanting to explain it to me. And I, I got bored reading the headlines, so I can't imagine how bored I would be actually watching the episode. <laughs> Look, it's not about the destination, it's the journey. Okay. The, the, the journey. Looping journey. We're always and the going journey in circles. Circles, get it. circles. Circles. And confusing. And you know what? I'm 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 along for the ride. You got me, JJ Abrams. Again. Oh JJ that last clay rabbit. It's that Damon Lindelof guy or whatever <laughs> ruins every show he touches. D- gotta... Well, Greg, it's got Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. Oh, oh, Jonathan Nolan. That's what I go to the, the Dark Knight movies for. <laughs> Jonathan Nolan's contributions to the screenplay. No, of course not. He's the real genius. Okay? Where is Chris? Chris, Chris get to t- get to TV and and make Westworld interesting, please. <laughs> he'd make it gray and boring. No, he'd make it real. <laughs> And he'd be yeah. more elegant. How about a laugh too? <laughs> he might. He knows how to get a laugh. Does he? Does he? Yes. He he knows how to get one laugh. Uh, one laugh specifically. One laugh. Yeah. Morgan Freeman, whose career we'll pour one out for too. The, the old horn dog <laughs> has some funny scenes in Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. You know, there's some that laugh about um, Killian Murphy. It was like, why couldn't uh, my dad build this giant fortress on a beach instead of the side of a mountain in Inception? See, mm. I've got these, I've got these jokes cataloged because they're so few and far between. <laughs> I remember uh, Anne Hathaway's performance in Interstellar. That was a huge joke. Bum, bum, ba, dum, wow. Shots, shots, <laughs> shots. 
What did she ever do to you? <laughs> All right. Her damn kid was taken away from her. Her hair got cut because of fleas. <laughs> oh, we'll get to Anne Hathaway. Yeah. We'll get to Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Because Again, that all happened in Ocean's 8, so. <laughs> in case anyone's wondering. Uh, spoiler alert, we're talking about that third, okay? Oh, okay, got it. Right, 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 right. Because right. we have more recent releases we have to get to first. Indeed we do. John, what's first on the docket? Oh, we're going the most recent of releases. We're going the opening weekend of Lost World, Fallen Jurassic. <laughs> Wait, sorry, that's not right. Lost World. Jurassic Kingdom? Wait, no. <laughs> Jurassic Park, Lost, The Lost World. <laughs> okay. No, no, sorry. It's Jur- Jurassic World, The Dark World. <laughs> Infinity War. Got it. Yeah. Jurassic, <laughs> Jurassic World, <laughs> the, the sequel. <laughs> Jurassic World, Electric Boogaloo. How many can you save? Eleven species. Blue is the last of her kind. You'll never capture her. We thought you might know someone who could help. A rescue op? What could go wrong? Hey, Blue. You know me. Come with me. You know you can't stay here. Back your men up right now. It was all a lie! The man who proved raptors can follow orders. You never thought how many millions a trained predator might be once? They're gonna sell them. Not blue. They need it for something else. What is that thing? They made it. This is the most dangerous creature that ever walked the earth. I say we shut this whole thing down. Hey, girl. You think what I'm thinking? joke they don't they make no reference to the subtitle fallen kingdom why the no, hell they, why the hell do they call it that um one of the things that really bugged me about this movie they don't even mention any dinosaurs by name sure they do no they don't well, i mean I again well, it, going comparatively to like lost world which is like really trying to dig in deep with the whole nerdy dinosaur ephemera like that's a back of cephalosaurus uh, yes. and that's what they have in jurassic world colon Fallen Kingdom. Yes, we do know the real title. Um, mm-hmm. They have a Pachycephalosaurus play an important role <coughs> in, in <coughs> the third John, act. It, oh. John, it's called a Stigmalion, and there's actually some uh, some dispute about this. I believe oh. Backer or some other paleontologist thinks it's a juvenile Pachycephalosaurus, but uh, uh. according to other paleontologists, are classifying it as its own species. Uh. And at one point, I believe Chris Pratt's character does refer to it as Stiggy. I don't, I don't remember that at all, but I must have passed out at that point. This movie's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you say not very good, but come on, what are your expectations, really? That's you come f- into a Jurassic Park, where, what do you want to see? You want to see people get chased by big, scary dinosaurs. And does the movie deliver on that product? But that's the problem. I can't look at these movies without comparing it to the original Jurassic Park, which was a very seminal film for both of us. Yes. And I don't like to think of myself as a nostalgic person. I almost wish the original wasn't directed by Steve, uh, Steven Spielberg because Steven Spielberg is a, is a master weaver. He's a Rapunzel. He takes this, uh, this schlock and just turns it into a masterpiece. And that's yeah. what these movies should be. They should be empty schlock. But now that I've seen what it's possible of what it's capable of doing, I see the schlock and I'm like, well, this is a missed opportunity because this movie is schlock. This is garbage. But this is, yeah, it, it's a haunted it, house movie and they, they yeah. picked the, kind of the right guy for it, but it's still a crappy haunted house movie. <laughs> no, yeah. And again, 
if we hadn't seen them, it, if it didn't have these pretensions to be elevated, again, mm. trying to capture the spirit of the first movie, maybe it will work. But instead, it's kind of like, oh, we got to be serious because this is a Jurassic Park movie. All right, now we're going to have the stock stereotype characters doing movie quotes and things like that. Yeah, and it's it's also funny you mentioned nostalgia. Like, yeah, we can't help it, but compare it to the earlier ones. But I think of how why am i so willing to accept this and then yet star wars fans are so quick to condemn <laughs> the most recent movies as like oh it's just fan service like you know it's just oh that reference like it's so distracting yet yeah, and and this movie is just as guilty of that yet we're kind of willing to accept it and i think it's because i i do want to modulate my expectations a little bit and maybe for the viewer this is just going to be consumer uh, service for me <laughs> this is just going to be a consumer report in that yes you're right it does have kind of pretensions to being like oh what what like what are we doing with nature we're trying to control nature we're trying to play god what Um, have we wrought on this earth (laughs) but the screenplay is so exceptionally dumb (laughs) this is one of the like dumb it has an iq of about 80 it's like a bro trying to write poetry (laughs) and so point excellent point yeah and so like you have to think like okay he's not gonna he's this bro's not gonna turn into Robert Frost. And so I kind of understand that, you know, this isn't going to turn into the original Jurassic Park and I shouldn't expect it to be that. Now, granted, if we're going to, you know, compare it to the other movies, this isn't as bad as Jurassic Park 3. No. Um, But here's my issue with this movie. It's the fact that it has kind of more sweeping highs and sweeping lows for me as opposed to like Jurassic Park 3 and the first Jurassic World where those were kind of like flatline. They're just kind of like, all right, this is happening in front of my eyes, but, you know, it doesn't really offend me. It's like this movie has like really great scenes that really, really work and then just plummets to like the dumbest possible option they could have made. And that's why I get, like, this one feels more offensive to me because it's like, all right, there's some real craft at work here. But Mm -hmm. then also it's like the dumbest screenplay imaginable. So it's like you get these peaks and valleys that I think just makes me more exhausted than anything and just makes me more angry. Like, it gives me more feels, for lack of a better (laughs) word. (laughs) Well, should we actually explain, like, set this up for folks? Or do you just want to get into what worked for you and what didn't? Let's just get... I I have a sneaking suspicion the audience already knows what the plot is. So because the yeah. trailer basically gave away two thirds. Oh of the yeah, movie. if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, but essentially, uh, if you remember un- uncreatively, the park just <laughs> ran amok and and got ruined, got its shit ruined in the last movie. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we are. However, now there's a volcano on the island and it's about to explode, and there's some debate. Uh, I say debate in massive air quotes <laughs> about whether we should save the dinosaurs or just let die on this uh, on this island. And um, they oh, recruit. and the movie tries to make it seem like this is like a huge like 24-hour news story. Like they yeah. show this march of like 10,000 people. It's like 10,000 people would not be marching for this cause. <laughs> no. No, nobody would. I don't think anybody would care. <laughs> exactly. This is like a PETA level issue, not like yeah. people aren't going to be marching on Washington for this. Yes, but for some for some reason they recruit Bryce Dallas Howard's character, whose name I can't remember, which is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah, and she recruits uh, Chris Pratt's character. Yes, who I believe his name's Owen, because um, Owen's a cool name and he's a cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, get conscripted into helping capture the dinosaurs and get them off the island by these yeah uh let's let's just call it what it is they're shady business people you know obviously John, they what come, are you talking about they that come guy, in like that guy you know, at the beginning in his sharp suit and his <laughs> stubble and his 
and his white teeth just said, you know, uh, you just believe him when he says, like, come on, we got to save these dinosaurs. This is what John Hammond and John Hammond Site B, <laughs> played, by, <laughs> played by James Cromwell, would have wanted. Because, mm-hmm. uh, um, God rest Richard Attenborough, if he was still alive, <laughs> he would be the character, the old man who wants the dinosaurs to still be alive. However, he's he's no longer with us, so they cast James Cromwell to be a, a dying old, you know, partner. Uh, Which, un- un- let's be honest, second best choice. Let's be honest. Well, yeah, I was surprised. Like he plays a, there's no twist here. He plays a decent man throughout the movie, which James Cromwell hasn't done in the last 15 years. I don't think he's yeah. always been a sinister, evil guy. He's he always gravitates to those parts for some reason. Um, he was the good guy in uh, uh, Spider-Man Three. Wait, was he? He was, he was Gwen, Gwen Stacy's dad. Remember? No, no of course I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Who the hell remembers Spider-Man Three? <laughs> he was the best part of Spider-Man Three because there was not a lot of good parts in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, turns out they get betrayed as soon as they get to the island, pretty much. You do get Ted Levine as kind of like the uh, evil military guy who's like, I'm only in it for my money. Ugh, all the characters in this movie are so fucking broad. <laughs> yeah. Um, it really does, because this is pretty much an identical setup to the original sequel to Jurassic Park, <laughs> The Lost World, colon mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. Um, in this case, this character was played by Pete Postlethwaite, and he was way better. <laughs> as much as we love Ted Levine, he, he far exceeded that uh, that that basically stock role. Well, I in, mean, And being yeah. this big game hunter who who doesn't care about the animals, but he has these amb- this ambition, like he's trying to prove himself. Here, Ted Levine's just a mustache-twirling uh, must villain. Got it out. Yes. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. I mean, literally, like, three times in the movie, he's like, I want my bonus! Like, you know, as yeah. if we couldn't tell this character's only in it for the money. Like, please, yeah. let's hit that home. Yes. And then, and then he, he's flipping about everything, and he's just like, I'm going to take this dino's teeth. <laughs> That's going to be important later, guys. Twist. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, obviously, we bring two more good guys along on a journey. Uh, you know, the computer guy, who's really Ugh. nerdy. And, <laughs> oh boy, he can't... <laughs> He can't deal with the outdoors. He's putting on bug spray and sunscreen because he's a nerd. Yeah, and then we but got then you've got the then you've got the nasty woman, <laughs> the paleo veterinarian, which she has to say in the screenplay in the only screenplay's moment of self awareness or logic says like yes it's a thing. <laughs> has to affirm to another character that this position actually exists. <laughs> yes, and she's and she's a tough chick. Oh, she's a tough chick, which uh, implies... She has tattoos. <laughs> she wears a t-shirt. And obviously, it's implied that, and again, this is not my metaphor, she probably chews more carpet than a mal- malfunctioning vacuum cleaner. Shea <laughs> Boog. How dare you. I, I'm actually surprised they didn't form a romance, the, the computer geek and the tough uh, mm-hmm. veterinarian. <laughs> I thought they, I thought they would have wound up together, but no, this movie, this movie barely muster the creativity for that. I'm sure that that computer geek role was made for Jack Johnson again, but unfortunately he was probably oh, yeah. too busy doing tags, so that's why they cast this nobody. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Oh god. And then every like, remember in Jurassic Park how subtle everything was? Like they actually came off as like real human beings, and how every single line in this movie is like, "This is a movie line I'm speaking to you right now for maximum dramatic effect." Well, when you say when you say subtle, you're not talking about Jeff Goldblum, are you? Well, no, but no, I'm not you're talking, talking about. about the, but that's why Jeff right Goldblum people, worked, yeah, because he the was right a character people. in a sea of you know, quote unquote, normies. Whereas like everybody here is like, "I'm this is my philosophy. I'm going to explain it to you now." <laughs> yeah, so they're they're stock characters, and they're, there's no real. And it kind of touches on this. The only real backstory we have is that Chris Pratt's character has a relationship with Blue, the lone Velociraptor who's left. Yeah, uh, yes. 
And that's an that's something else that you don't quite believe. Um, I guess it's the movie's trying to be like Terminator Two. It's turning the villain into the good guys now. <laughs> um, but while that worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's a charismatic actor and had this whole you kind of expect him to be a hero. Now we're talking about a bunch of ones and zeros that are basically ugly green lizards that no, were yeah. scary in the first movie. Now we're expecting them to be heroes. In this case, it's it's Blue the Velociraptor, the twitchy, uh, toothy, you know, giant lizard. Murder machine. Or, yes, excuse me. Or the T-Rex, which always, which is a literal deuce ex machina, just comes out whenever you need her. Exactly. But at least it makes sense with Blue, because again, Blue was raised among humans and obviously was trained. The T-Rex, for some reason, just like feels the need to defend humans for no reason. Yeah. Well, because he did in the first movie, John. Oh, okay. So he's got to do it. That's his thing. Like... That's his. That's or sorry. That's her thing. That's her trademark. <laughs> yeah. She realized, like, oh, I've got you know, I'm gonna come out and do my catchphrase now. Squibbity <laughs> <laughs> bippity. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so they get betrayed on the island, and uh, they almost, you know, then the thing gets blown up. I hated the sequence so much. It's so breathless, and you don't get a minute. There's no stakes. It's all completely well, weightless. I, yeah, John, let's. I don't want to play movie doctor already, but <laughs> okay. I'm going to. One problem with this movie in comparison to Jurassic Park, because mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg is a genius. Yes. <laughs> he knew what would capture people's imagination is if the dinosaurs were just animals mm-hmm. and not movie monster villains. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, you can argue like the velociraptors or whatever, but at least they establish them as bad thing. Here's here's all you need to you, you can do it in one line of dialogue <laughs> to justify why the animals act this way. Hey, nobody set foot on the island for three years, and these predators, let me tell you, they're hungry. Mm. That's it. It's effing easy, and nobody says it. Instead, <laughs> the T Rex and the, the the giant fish and <laughs> the carnosaur and all the other like uh, bat, uh, predators on the island just basically just the second they see another living thing, they're just like, "I'm gonna attack that." <laughs> now, I I see. I wanted them to like write it off as like humans are just the tastiest meat because they will <laughs> stop at whatever they're doing. They could be outrunning like lava, and they'll be like, "Human, I'm gonna eat that immediately." Yeah. <laughs> and again, I'm gonna wait, wait. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go after it. And then I'm going to pause real slowly just as I'm about to grab him, and then I'll snap at him. <laughs> yeah. You know, for dramatic effect. These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. Welcome to Jurassic World. Well, John, let's not let's not be too negative. Let's let's speak to what what works. And I do believe it's those like thrilling little set pieces where it looks like a dinosaur is about to pounce. Yeah, I mean the best part is the third act when they actually get to the Victorian mansion in the middle mm-hmm. of Northern California for some reason. Let's not think about that I, too much. Yeah. Um, well, we uh, finally, I'm thankful that they they put dinosaurs somewhere else. My vision has always been, what do dinosaurs look like in the real world, the real mm-hmm. modern world? And this is about as close as I've gotten so far, other than the end of the Lost World Jurassic Park, <laughs> which is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> yes. Um, but even like even that movie's dumb as fuck. But at least that works. Um, yeah. Because Spielberg's a genius. Because Spielberg's a genius. Yes, but again, it's like the uh, director J. A. Uh, what's his last Boyana. name? Boyana. Yeah. Yeah. J. A. Boyana. 
he kind of makes it work because again he's got that you know horror movie bona fides and also one of the most thrilling sequences again going back to jurassic world is when the raptors are attacking them in the kitchen and they all have to like sneak around and so that's what clearly the first jurassic world was lacking there's no stakes in that movie whatsoever so at least now we Mm. get this and i don't know i think the uh the endoraptor works a lot better as a villain than indominus rex I don't know. For oh, some it, reason, I don't know if it's uh, the size or the way he's computer generated. I just think the Endoraptor kind of has a lot more personality to it. I don't, well, I think it's because the story's not as well. Constru- the problem is like this is a this is the ultimate predator until it isn't. Mm. <laughs> it's the Very problem. True. So they set it up as yeah, like a, it's basically the same setup as the first Jurassic World, where they've ge- genetically engineered a super predator and it's going to mm-hmm. terrify. And oh no, it's gotten loose, and there's no way we can capture it until you know <laughs> it comes to it comes to some kind of chase, and then it's easily bested or or easily outrun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of the problem. Or again, I it think can, you're right. It can smell it you until it can't. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right because it is more um, lithe. Mm-hmm. It it kind of it works for the environment, unlike the the jungle, which we've seen a thousand times before. And by a thousand times before, I mean in literally four of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Here we get to see it move around the the kind of a different space, and that's why maybe it just suits that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I think there was a, also a practical animatronic made for it, and that's why it, it's just a little bit more. It just feels a little bit more real than the Indominus Rex from the previous movie, which was just a CG character. That is very true. Yes, and then also. Also, they don't overload it with a bunch of ridiculous special powers that the Indominus Rex apparently had, but then never used, <laughs> like camouflage. It did use the camouflage in one scene. It's just the, it just wasn't well set up because an army guy is just traipsing through a creek or something like that. No, it's there. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, um, I think uh, Boyana is just better at, at crafting kind of those little, those little terrifying set pieces like. Uh, we mentioned Ted Levine's character. He's like, oh, I'm going to take a tooth from what I believe is is a subdued <laughs> Indoraptor. Yeah. And then and turns uh, out that's Yeah, not. obviously, you know what's going to happen. His comeuppance. Yeah. <laughs> I do think they're, like, maybe just because this is a PG-13 movie, and it, the, but the real target audience is eight and nine-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do think for those kind of moments, it does pull its punch, pull its punches a little bit. Um, That's pretty much all the Jurassic Park movies. None of them are particularly gory. Like we can well, all no, not gory, but in terms of the the shock, the surprise, the the actual um, jump scare, like I the jump scares true, yeah. could have been better. I mean, I like the I thought the last one was pretty effective, mostly because it's like oh, yeah, classic that. misdirection. But yeah, um, again, maybe it's the nostalgia factor. But again, that whole scene where it you know she hides in her bed and then it kind of creeps in through the window. Like I remember having nightmares like when I was six when that <laughs> when I first saw Jurassic Park. So I don't know that really was kind of effective for me that kind of hit me personally again it doesn't cover up how stupid this script is and all the dumb plot holes why does the fucking dome waiter go to the special <laughs> the special lab <laughs> that bothered me so much yes. <laughs> at the end of like a hallway like a, a pointless hallway except for the dumb waiter <laughs> we need a special code and a hidden elevator to get to a special lab or we could take the dome waiter <laughs> yeah. john not just a special code a four-digit code <laughs> The whole park business. needs a fucking handprint, but no, like all this yeah. genetic material and all this confidential stuff, you just need a forged code for that. Yeah, Whatever. which opens immediately once it breaks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how uh, Toby. Uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Toby Keith. No, Toby Keith. That's Sorry, Toby, Toby Jones. Keith. <laughs> Toby, Toby Jones. Jones. That's how Toby Jones meets his demise. Um, yes. Yeah, there, there are a bunch of stock characters. Again, speaking of the stupidity, it's it's kind of a shame because 
at least in Jurassic Park, which, which isn't the probably the fullest creative potential that you know dinosaurs in the real modern world could be. Mm-hmm. But at least it's better than this, where they're like, "Oh, we're going to sell you dinosaurs <laughs> to the ties bitter," <laughs> and they're all evil, conniving, you know, uh, multi-millionaires in their fine suits, rolling up in their Rolls Royces, like, mm-hmm, "Yes, human yeah. misery." <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we'll use them for military applications <laughs> because you can spend uh, $20 million on a dinosaur or um, a drone, which you don't have to feed. Or <laughs> Does the Aliens franchise not exist in this universe? Like, don't they know this never works out? Don't no. try to weaponize a wild animal. It's never no. worked out. No. <laughs> Unless it's he does, he does say two examples. Alps. He does say two examples that are each at least like a, a millennia old. <laughs> Like, hey, Hannibal crossed the Alps and elephants. <laughs> that, that's because he didn't have a car. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur? We don't really believe it. It's like a miracle. Something's coming. It's a T-Rex. It's a T-Rex. It's not a T-Rex. Blue, come with me. You know you can't stay here. Jurassic World. The island. You're all right. Easy, girl. All of that is in the past. Am I dead? Not yet, kid. I want to show you the future. What is that thing? They made it. Should we talk about the ending, though? Because you keep talking, like... Well, we didn't even speak to, yeah, the the biggest and stupidest and probably most pointless twist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mentioned the dumb waiter. That's how the precocious little girl yes. who lives in the house just above this top secret um, mm-hmm. lab, um, she kind of unveils the plan, or she discovers the plan and reveals it to uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of together in this haunted house with this uh, with this raptor that's loose. However, there's a twist with her character, John. Yes, uh, they keep implying that her genetics are kind of special. They keep telling her that her mom died in a car wreck, but you know, uh, James Cromwell has this very this book that has a lot of information on her. He's very protective of it, and he won't let her see a picture of her mother, you know, for very specific reasons. Turns out it's because she's not her daughter; it's she's a clone Ooh. of James Cromwell's daughter. Uh, yeah, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't. Besides, it's not like set up in any way, it doesn't pay off in any way. Again, besides going with the whole theme of yes, genetic engineering, and we've opened the Pandora's box, doesn't really mean anything. I thought it was like, oh, she has like dino DNA snuck in her genome or something <laughs> like that. I don't like at least tie it back to the dinosaurs at least a little yeah. bit, not just oh, she's a clone. That's weird. <laughs> Maybe they want to set up and lock in um, Chris Pratt for movie, the rest of these movies ad and find him saying like, oh, you want to die in this movie? You can't. We're just going to clone you. <laughs> Maybe that's it, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, I can't envision why they would include that other than maybe setting up future movies and whatever the hell they have planned. Oh, well, they've set that up in spades with the ending. I I, I do kind of appreciate her character. What Like, what the... Okay, so the whole point of her being a clone is the fact that she's the one who ends up releasing the dinosaurs at the end. I, I is that the is that what the point is supposed to be? I thought it would have been more powerful because again, the screenplay is is 
below 80 IQ, which is just <laughs> dumb as rocks. Yeah. There's there's a moment where all the dinosaurs are in their cages, and it's filling the lab is filling up with toxic gas. Yeah. And the only choice they have is to either let the dinosaurs die, a la earlier in the volcano, mm-hmm. or B, let them free in Northern California. It comes full circle. It's a big yeah. loop, you see. Bryce Dallas Howard, she's been, you know, gunning for saving these animals but not at the cost of having them actually live amongst humans. So when push comes to shove, she can't do it. So instead, the little girl releases all the dinosaurs, again implying that just because genetically they don't belong here doesn't mean they don't deserve to live. Genetically, I don't belong here, but I deserve to live. So that's the whole kind of thematic point of her being a clone is the fact that she kind of sympathizes with the dinosaurs and releases them into the wild. Which is good. For yeah, them to like kill... tens of thousands of other people. Yeah, to, do to that. maybe potentially kill tens of thousands of people. Yeah. <laughs> tens of thousands of people who also would probably love to see the dinosaurs survive and go for the free. You established mm-hmm. that earlier in the movie at the U.S. Capitol. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, again, the, not not the smartest movie in the world. Probably not even the smartest movie released this, uh, this week. Um, <laughs> but in any event, I... It does, I, I will say, maybe unlike other movies, which tease you for what's going to happen next, I was a little I was a little more encouraged by where this movie goes. Yes, the dinosaurs are now unleashed um, on the real world. Except, and finally, 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 I'm going to get my, my vision. <laughs> I'm going to see my dream achieved of dinosaurs actually living in the modern world. Yes. And now I think I... Pixar, to speak to our next movie, didn't, couldn't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> and now they have sequel ideas for ages forever yes. and ever yeah so this franchise will just never die like the yep. dinosaurs yeah they'll just keep resurrecting it yeah and universal call me again i gave you a, a brilliant uh, just for free a brilliant of <laughs> uh, screenplay rewrite so just call me i'll figure something out okay <laughs> well greg you already teased our next movie absolutely you little scoundrel you <laughs> it's cars four <laughs> <laughs> oh if only yep at least the Cars movies has like potential for interesting sequel ideas. <laughs> hey, hang on. John, it sounds like you gave the game away. Of course we're talking about uh, the other big box office winner in the month of June, Incredibles 2. What exactly is Mom's new job? She's an advocate for superheroes. But I thought superheroes were still illegal. Hey, hey, the bus is here! So things haven't spiraled out of control the moment I left? Oh my god. And Jack Jack? Looks normal to me. What the? Num num cooking. Cooking. Oh my god. Cooking. Wow, gay. That is freaky. Supers are no longer in control. I'll be there ASAP. You better be back ASAP. It's up to us. sequel to a billion dollar franchise yes because well, this is no, the world I, we live come in on. <laughs> the first incredibles was successful it wasn't that successful i guess that's true yeah actually i think at that point it was like the lowest earning pixar movie uh yeah until it was replaced by maybe brave or the good dinosaur oh okay yeah, yeah. speaking of movies that didn't realize their full potential <laughs> um I was, again, nostalgia. I was really looking forward to this one. And I would say it's much more successful than uh, Jurassic World 2 Lost Kingdom. Um, Yeah. It just can't quite shake the feeling that it's 
kind of hitting the same beats again, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's got that Hollywood sequel problem where like it's basically the same structure as the movie before, just a little bit louder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do have like Mrs. Incredible, aka Elastigirl, kind of taking center stage, so that makes it a little more interesting. Her name um, is Helen Parr, John. Oh. Please, she has a name. <laughs> <laughs> of course she has a name, but she's also a superhero. Yes. The and superhero. Again, she's, I... she's got to keep her identity a secret. <laughs> sure. <laughs> While she's sitting out there, just looking at a train that's about to launch. <laughs> I think this movie is quite good. Again, it can't live up to the original um, Incredibles. Uh, the screenplay is definitely not as tight. Um, you can kind of see all the machinations and where they're going, especially the second act twist, which is totally obligatory. Um, <laughs> again, much like you know, Sean, Jurassic World. Sean, are you World. telling me a character who we trusted in a Pixar movie is not actually to be trusted? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Haven't I seen this before? Um, <laughs> it's every yes, every Pixar movie. <laughs> well, it's like in the original. It's, I mean, the reveal of the villain. It's like they don't really try to like hide the fact of who he is. It's like they kind of loaded up front. It's like, hey, this is why he hates superheroes. Remember him? Um, yeah. Whereas, like with her. I, again, I'm giving it away, aren't I? Should we just? Uh, well, no. Yeah. Should we just well, say not, spoiler not, alert? No, let's not. No, let's not get there. Yeah, we'll we'll just speak generally. The villain's motivation this time around mm-hmm. is a little too like nebulous, and maybe it's not it's not completely unexpected because obviously the way that Pixar movies are constructed, like we know, there's no superfluous characters really, and everyone's gonna have a point, and you know, we're kind of just like looking out. Um, for who who the uh, who will take a heel turn? <laughs> yeah, and but the other problem is that the uh, motivation, her hatred of superheroes, has nothing to go with thematically what their evil plan is, or at least not initially. No. Yeah, because the villain of the piece is Screen Slaver, which is this character who kind of uses their technology to uh, hypnotize people and kind of concoct their evil schemes. And the character, I guess, because Screen Slaver is meant to be kind of a front psychologically or kind of uh, philosophically what they're doing has nothing really to do with superheroes i guess i mean there's this whole idea that it's like tv makes us complacent just like superheroes kind of make us complacent but it's a very thin thread yeah well the problem is this movie takes place in the 60s yeah and it's trying to tell a conventional or a a conventional theme to today's uh, today's society which is oh we're addicted to the screens of our phones and computers Mm mm-hmm um, but that wasn't the case in the 60s. So what exactly? And also, I guess the point is, the idea is to live in the real world and yeah. not be absorbed by, let's say, the fantasy of superheroes. The problem is, in, this, in, the, in the world <laughs> they've created, superheroes aren't a fantasy. They're real. Exactly. But, so, I mean, yeah, like, TV was still very ubiquitous in the 60s. Well, yeah, but just still, John, does that? Are you using that to contradict my point? Or well, no, I'm just saying that it was a very, it was like the one and only popular medium. So it's like it kind of makes sense thematically, going with the whole kind of '60s. Don't, don't defend this. No, you're no, wrong. I, I, no, I think there's a lot to defend about this movie. I think it does a lot well. Um, it just it can't do enough to kind of differentiate itself from the original. It still feels like it's hitting the same beats. And also, the thing that always bothers me is the fact that Brad Bird is like, oh, I'll 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 do an incredible sequel when the right story comes along. Oh, wouldn't you know it? The the sequel comes wrong right as he has two mediocre live action outings <laughs> and he's in, well, just ne- one, in just one that flopped bad um, he's in desperate need of a hit oh how convenient yeah. that the sequel and just happened to come to, along yeah, yeah. Uh, two years after uh the director of finding nemo who also had a live action bomb <laughs> it's like oh coincidentally i've come back to uh to uh my pixar home and hey there's a sequel that disney wants to make because those make money <laughs> exactly and here we are
and, and everything old is new again. Hey, yeah. look, there's Edna Mole. She has a suit for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> We're going to do the demonstration scene. Remember that the first in the first movie? <laughs> so what is different, Greg? What's new? Well, I'll tell you, and I'll just speak to the movie's greatest sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, no. Let's let's speak to the plot. The plot's a little different this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, it, whereas in the first movie, superheroes are forced to go into hiding um, mm-hmm. because they've been made illegal because of uh, the lousy bureaucrats and all the insurance costs and things <laughs> like that. The damn government. Yeah. Government tell me what I can and can't do. Yes. Here, the power of private enterprise um, <laughs> wants to bring superheroes back into the spotlight. So uh, Mr. Incredible, his wife, uh, Elastigirl, and Frozone, Samuel Jackson from the first movie, all meet this uh, this wealthy telecommunications corporation. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, we want to give get uh, give superheroes a PR boost. Mm-hmm. So we'll, and not exactly contrive scenarios, but enable you to save the day and communicate in a way where, again, you come out as the good guys, not like the bad guys that forced you to go into hiding before. Exactly. So that so the setup's reversed, and also in a classic sitcom twist, <laughs> the, the matriarch of the family goes out and does the work, while the father has to stay at home. Yes, and that that I did like because you look at the ads and you're like, oh my god, like it's a, it's the same crappy sitcom setup that we've seen ten thousand times before, but it is done a little bit better here because it's it's not that it's not that broad and like oh he he can't you know change a diaper or. <laughs> It's not it's not the obvious stuff. It's instead like he's he's doing kind of his best intention to in these circumstances. Like he actually does help um his his son with his homework and the new way they do math. Um, mm-hmm. however that that kind of keep it's his son isn't doing any better at school. He wants to help his daughter. He's he's somewhat at fault for breaking up this uh, budding relationship that his daughter has with the uh, the hunk in, in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not quite the hunk or whatever, but <laughs> and so he intends to he contrives a scenario to get them back together. So there there's some more like interesting stuff there than just the plain old like oh th- these men they can't do anything right at home. <laughs> well, I think the interesting kind of twist on the whole Mr. Mom thing is not that he can't do anything. Because, again, we do get to kind of see him succeed in a, at a few attempts, and yeah. he does actually, he is actually a good, attentive father for most of it. The thing that kind of hits him is, like, the fact that it doesn't stop. It doesn't end. Like, Jack-Jack is no. still a baby. He won't go to sleep. The kid, yes, you caught the kid up on homework, but there's still more homework to come, you know? It's, it's this whole idea that it's, like, parenting never quite ends. You never really, like, reach a goal. And for a superhero and thematically that kind of works because for a superhero they defeat the bad guy the day is saved and that's the end of that whereas like parenting it's it's a journey it's a long long journey or this is not a very good story and it just has dead ends (laughs) and goes around in circles because i want to speak to the movie's greatest sin okay and that is this scene that introduces their big new house that they're going to get with as part of this superhero initiative they get a great oh yes beautiful mansion that Mm -hmm. overlooks the city and um, Dash, the young the young boy, is like, like so excited about the house. There's a pool, and then he plays a remote, and he plays with the remote, and the floors open up to like this koi pond and this little water feature. Yeah, that never comes back in the story. Uh, and I I was so I was so disappointed. It, it felt somehow around this time around it felt so lackluster. I mean, there's obviously still like pleasures to be had, but like things like the the just it, none of, none of it really came together for me in the end. See, I thought they were definitely going to use that again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that was also kind of the problem. The stuff that they do kind of bring back, let's mention the Incredibile, the Credimobile. Yeah. Um, yeah. it, it felt like so kind of obvious. And again, like we talked about the true identity of Screenslaver. Again, it's just so obvious where all the beats are going to hit. It definitely doesn't feel as fresh or as alive as the original was. Like everything just feels so easily set up and paid off. It does have the sense of like, lacking like again the inspiration's just not as there as the original again it's hitting all the same beats they have to go to edna mold she demonstrates a new suit for them um yeah. the uh, second act reveal of the villain oh they get captured the rest of the family has to go and save them you know it's it's just hitting all the same beats and even though it's really well done because again it's brad bird and He's obviously a very talented uh, writer and filmmaker and director, mm-hmm. even though I think his uh, his dialogue does kind of hit that Sorkinese level occasionally. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I'll speak to that later. But mm-hmm. uh, we get a we get a huge monologue by Screenslaver about how you know screens uh, complacency. Well, oh, you don't want to talk. Thinking. You want to watch talk shows. Oh, you don't want to play games. You want to watch game shows. <laughs> Is this all vegetables? Who wanted all? I did. So, are we going to talk about it? What? The elephant in the room. What elephant? Mom's new job. It's time to make some wrong things right. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes. And Elastigirl is our best play. Better than... Me? <clears throat> Whoa! I like Mom's new job! Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. Yeah, well, yeah, and what few, and what, because, again, we should say this is Pixar. It's still it's light years ahead of whatever, like, whatever illumination, whatever crap they're putting out <laughs> in terms of the uh, computer-generated animation field. Yep. But the, I think the highlight of the movie is, um, well... Uh, Mr. Incredible can't put little Jack-Jack, the baby of the family, to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little row with a raccoon. Ah, uh, yes, that's definitely the best sequence of the movie. Yeah, it's it, and it's the most like exciting sequence. It's the funniest. However, it's just that little five-minute chunk mm-hmm. that seems just destined to get you know millions of views on YouTube rather than part of a larger story. Or again, just seems somewhat pointless. I think the idea is like he doesn't know that his uh, his baby has uh, powers yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of kind of how sloppy the story, the baby has a multitude of powers <laughs> that, you know, just kind of come up whenever you need them. I guess there exactly. are points in the story, particularly in the third act, where it kind of works against them. But more well, often yeah, than not, they, yeah, it's more of a, yeah, it's more of a, just a, again, a get out of jail free card or whatever, whatever tight corner you put the characters in. It just, it just enables them to break free and, you know, just makes the story less engaging as a result. I mean, the whole point is the fact that, yes, they have to, they're forced to bring Jack-Jack along on the rescue mission for the third act, and the idea is that, you know, the kids obviously don't want to have to babysit him, and with all his powers, he can kind of get away and cause mischief, but then also, that kind of mischief gets him out of scrapes as well, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I well, I, I do want to speak to the, also, the, um, the dialogue, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, first there's that mo- monologue, but the low point of the movie is this dialogue that, uh, Ellen Parr, Miss Elastigirl, has with another woman who's in charge of this telecommunications company that's giving them a PR boost. Mm-hmm. She's the sister to the brother who actually runs the company. Yes. Mm-hmm. And 
I can't remember a single line of dialogue other than I just want this scene to end because it's, <laughs> it's shot over shot and they're laboriously like going over what their philosophy are. Like I'm not naive, like I'm a realist. Like I, I'm not so naive to think like, you know, superheroes can't solve everything. And I'm like, what is this doing in our kids movie? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of appreciated that. Cause again, there is a lot of great, like, well-paced shot reverse shot and again it made me reminiscent of like the days where he was directing simpsons episodes like i thought it kind of had that great energy and always had like a nice kind of unexpected reveal or something like that so i kind of appreciated those scenes they definitely don't work for the little conversations between uh miss well, no. parr mrs parr and this woman i can't even remember Catherine keener's or Catherine Catherine yeah, we can't, yeah we can't even remember her name so yeah. it shows tells you how memorable she is <laughs> oh <laughs> But for me, it didn't work on a film like Maker's Perspective, or even on a philosophical perspective, because I mean, I, 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 I think what give... there's a clarity to the first Incredibles movie, um, which is let the special people take charge, <laughs> and you little people just stay on the sidelines. All right, let the let the real heroes take charge and dominate you. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> which which no matter how much you you disagree with that objectivist philosophy, at least it's a clear clear-minded philosophy that the story is conveying. Okay. Here, I don't know exactly like what the story wants to say. I'm going to rebuff that a little bit. I'm tired of this whole, like, oh, The Incredibles is like an objective, objectivist Ayn Rand, like, you know, <laughs> propaganda play, like, rah, rah, the specials, the Ubermensch. Um, yeah. I'm going to push back against a little bit about that. And what I wanted to say was, I at least give credit to Brad Bird for at least trying to intersect these kind of little philosoph- uh, philosophical underpinnings to his movies. Granted, in this movie, it's completely inelegant, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. But again, going back to the whole Ayn Rand objectiv- objectivist philosophy, I do kind of take umbrage with the fact that people think that that's what this this and the original Incredibles is espousing. Because I think there is an extra layer that people are missing, which is who's the biggest proponent of that Mr. Incredible in both films? Would you agree? Well, yeah, almost to the point of petulance. Like, <laughs> well, and I think that's the point. You kind of hit the nail on the head. The word mediocre is used in the original Incredibles and this movie by Mr. Incredible himself. And again, the context of when he uses that and he's espousing this certain philosophy, again, it's to demonstrate his petulance and his kind of and, fragile But he's always ego. rewarded is the problem. <laughs> his philosophy is always rewarded. He always comes out on the right side is the issue. I guess. So if you want the story to convey that complexity or something like that, he has to he has to come around and see, oh, there's there's something to um say living living by the will of the people rather than the will of the the special uber talented. Well, you know, no, be, I mean who should be running society. But this is why it gets kind of muddled. He oh, like in both instances he has to learn that yes, he has to rely on his family. He can't do it all himself. But you're right, it is a family of superheroes who are special people with special yeah. powers who are clearly better than everybody else. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah, it, it, I'm not going to say, I think it's a little unfair to, you know, stamp the objectivist screed on both movies. But you're No, right, not it, this one. Yeah, it, yeah. Again, there's no... Especially not this it, one. It doesn't, this movie doesn't espouse it as, if at all. Mm-hmm. But again, what it's replaced with is very muddled and not very, not very well explained. I mean, again, I want to give him credit for at least trying. And again, I always felt like The Incredibles yeah. was one of the more sophisticated uh, original Pixar films. Oh, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Because of again, because of these very reasons, where you know you have these kind of philosophical underpinnings, as opposed to like Wally, which is like, hey, the Earth is pretty good, guys. Let's not trash it. No. Um, <laughs> but that works for also like a kids movie. Like these, these at times feel like movies literally geared towards adults. Yeah. Um, in spite of, in spite there was of the, like um, only two kids in my screening. 
It was all like people my age. <laughs> I I had the opposite experience with a lot of kids oh, okay. making a lot of noise. So maybe that maybe that detracted from my you know overall view of the movie, which is uh, I think less favorable than you. That being said, come on, it's still a Pixar movie. It's still going to yeah. be well worth your time getting to the movies and yeah, and maybe actually bringing your kids again. They're going to be they're It's going to entertain the heck out of them. Yeah, exactly. And again, like the the action sequences alone for this movie are worth your ticket, your price of admission. Yeah, we talked about that raccoon fight. There's a great, um, I mentioned that Elastigirl is kind of set up, like uh, Mm -hmm. monitoring the city, and there's a big launch of a monorail. um, Mm -hmm. And the way that she has to like cleverly, you know, make sure that it comes to a a safe stop is is a pretty uh, exciting and invigorating sequence, let's say. Was that a Simpsons reference, perchance? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, No silly songs, though. Okay. Monorail, yeah. Yeah. monorail, <laughs> and I don't Mon- think they asked if if they asked Conan O'Brien to help out, <laughs> <laughs> and those Harvard eggheads. Yeah, <laughs> actually, no, he would have preferred that because he knows that the Harvard people are the Ubermensches. They're better oh, than absolutely. everybody else. Yeah, objectively, they're better than everybody else. Hey, honey, how are the kids? Everything's great. <laughs> Is she having adolescence? And Jack Jack. <laughs> He's in excellent health. No, what the? Num num cookie. Oh my god. Cookie. Whoa, gay. That is freaky. You know it's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break it. You've got to, so our kids can have that choice. Thank you, young man. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? Ah! It means fire, Robert. The screen slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. That being said, again, I think I think you and I recommend it, even though, yeah, even by Pixar standards, I don't think this this comes close. This is just kind of like a regular, like like middle of the road, fun family entertainment. Um, but coming from Pixar, that's a massive disappointment. That's no, it, again, it's just indicative of what, where, how far Pixar has fallen. It's like, let's just do sequels now for the rest of time. Let's just be yeah. DreamWorks. Let's think about the merchandising instead of telling a great story. Yeah. <sighs> it's so disappointing. It's Come on. Shame. What are they On the plus side, uh, do, they the plus have to, side one do they have their... to constantly be worried about making money? Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> on the plus side, um, one of their stakeholders hasn't had a live action flop <laughs> in recent memory. So they won't bring them back and, and, and just re, uh, reheat a new sequel, as far as I know. No, that okay. being said, I think Toy Story 4 is coming out next year. So uh, that's true. Well, that <laughs> originally, to. Toy Story 4 was supposed to come out first, but they completely yeah. had to rewrite the story and excise John Lasseter from the studio. They had to get, oh, sa- <laughs> they had to get Sage and everything and be like, be gone, evil spirits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I can't wait for the live-action debut of Pete Doctor. Oh boy, that's gonna be a great film. <laughs> oh, he knows. He he knows not to make the mistake of his uh, colleagues. <laughs> well, Andrew Stanton did have a good point. I mean, people people thought like, oh, it's been 14 years since the first Incredibles movie. That's because superheroes are so popular. Like, a, they were popular in 2004. Yes. And B. <laughs> Have you have you not seen the time between other uh, Pixar sequels? Nine years between Toy Story movies, four, thirteen years between Nemo movies. Mm-hmm. 
Like eight years between Monster Inc. Monsters Inc. I mean, come on. I mean, that's again, use your brains, people. <laughs> indicative of the other problem. It's like if these were really stories worth telling, you would have come out with them a lot sooner. Yeah. Oh, we had to well, spend twelve years letting Finding Dory just stay. Come on. And also, like the there'd be something about the animation that really and the, but those also the glimpses of kind of like brilliant artwork are kind of also few and far between in this movie. Mm. Um, whereas. I mentioned the good dinosaur before. Wretched story, absolutely <laughs> terrible. But <laughs> I didn't mind their ability dinosaur. to render. Yeah, their ability to render like a like a realistic landscape was just incredible. It was kind of it was really sumptuous <sighs> for the eyes there, at least. Uh, yeah, I mean that's but that actually kind of bothered me a little bit because I did wa- I did rewatch the Incredibles beforehand and seeing how far the animations come, it actually kind of creeped me out. Like how realistic really? all the textures are. I had the same problem when I saw the good dinosaurs. Like. Why are all the characters so cartoonish, but all the, like all the all the scenery is so perfect? Like mm. it kind of it it felt like disconnected, especially with Brad Bird's style, because Brad Bird has these very exaggerated, cartoony features. Yeah, I mean, I I remember the hair in exactly. the Incredibles. Like that <laughs> hair like is that so is not bad. Designed. Yeah, it's just, it's not designed to look really. Yeah, I mean, just look at Elastigirl's uh, frame. <laughs> She's got hips for days. <laughs> uh, uh, I believe a New Yorker critic picked up on that. <laughs> mm, yeah. You and me both, I brother. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I just want to wring her out like a towel. <laughs> I want to see how long she can stretch. <laughs> John, speaking of sexual perversity. <laughs> yes. I have another recent release for you. Oh, okay. I thought I was going to mention. You keep teasing Ocean's Eight. You're going to make them wait even longer. Yes, I am. Yeah, (laughs) we save our best for last. Oh, okay. Oh, (laughs) then you're going to be severely disappointed. Okay, yeah. (laughs) But no, I think. Yeah, I think this is actually the best recent release, and hopefully, it's still in theaters by the time you listen to it. Um, It's the latest movie from enigmatic independent American filmmaker Paul Schrader, Mm. and the movie is First Reformed. Oh boy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Now this is this is a thriller kind of right up my alley. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. It centers on Ethan Hawke, who is a a man struggling, who's a pastor at this very old church in upstate New York. It's gonna it's about to celebrate its two hundred fiftieth anniversary. Um, but he's he's struggling with his face. He uh, his face. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Hawke has never yeah, struggled is, with his. Oh, face. absolutely not. No, he's, I believe he's like fifty three, and he still looks he looks like he hasn't aged a day in thirty years. But any in any event. <laughs> He's struggling with his faith. Um, he lost his son in the Iraq War and is now divorced from his wife and, and is living kind of a lonely existence. Um, and that is until he's asked to help console a married couple in the town um, because they're both um, environmentally minded, um, really big environmentalists. However, one of them is kind of taking a violent turn. Um, he doesn't want to give birth. To, um, he doesn't want to see his wife is pregnant and he doesn't want to bring the birth to fruition because he's afraid to bring... Uh, a, a child into this like literally apocalyptic hellscape that's going to be our environment in 50 years or so okay. uh, by his estimates but yeah. they're christian so obviously they're not totally pro-abortion i'm sure as well well exactly well yeah that's the other thing too um they do these kind of great scenes they do characterize these uh, people very well i think the best scene is the first kind of debate they have this first counseling session um, it's a very long debate wherein they kind of ask about their philosophies and any moment where it does get boring, um, <laughs> Ethan Hawke's character just delivers a little bit of um, narration just to move us ahead a little bit. 
I mean, so far, Greg, what you're describing is just another empty Paul Schrader fan, full, <laughs> fan fiction. Like, oh, what a good time at the movies. Like, when's he going to make, like, a really deep, depressing movie? Come on. Well, yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned fan fiction because this is drawing almost, like, exact comparisons. It's heavily influenced by two movies, from one from Ingmar Bergman, the mm-hmm. Swedish filmmaker, and Robert Bresson, the French filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, so, much other people, yeah, yeah, so much other people are accusing him of plagiarism. But anyway... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't seen those. I haven't seen those movies, so I can't speak to it. But well, Greg, he's if he's talented, it's an homage. If he's a hack, it's a ripoff. I have. <laughs> that's the that's the rule of thumb. Well, he's had such a kind of up and down career. I will say, I will echo some other critics and say this is the best movie that Paul Schrader has ever done. Now, granted, that's not a very high bar to clear, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's it's a very good thriller because what they also discover is that um, uh, this young man has built this suicide vest. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he's he's gonna and instead of going to the police and perhaps exacerbating the situation, Ethan Hawke's characters take it, and where the story progresses from there um, is he, he receives a cancer diagnosis, he receives all this young man's research, and actually meets uh, the head of a a big chemical company that's mm-hmm. contributing to this that's contributing to this global t- catastrophe, but also is financing his church for this big 250th celebration. So all these great kind of thriller elements come together, um, and really gets your pulse gets really gets your pulse going that is until <laughs> cedric the entertainer walks in and brings some levity no i'm glad you, i'm glad you mentioned that because he's he's very good as kind of this mega church this charismatic mega church pastor mm-hmm. um and also the, something else i didn't know his it, they credit him as, as his birth name which is cedric kyle's oh, now i don't know why he hasn't gone through that whole his whole career because cedric kyle's is an awesome name <laughs> Why would you go by Cedric the Entertainer if Kyle's was your life? Anyway, but he's very good. Um, it's, a, a, again, probably not what you expect. It's not like his barbershop character. So <laughs> No, I think very... that was it was a very intentional casting choice. Again, you're casting yeah. Cedric the Entertainer as someone who's meant to be kind of a boisterous pastor who's kind of like empty spectacle more than actual real deeply invested faith. Well, I will say it's not empty spectacle because there are other scenes where he debates. He's essentially um, Ethan Hawke's boss. Okay. And he does debate like, okay, what's the next action we should take? And there's more philosophically going on. Hmm. Um, I won't say it's just empty spectacle or or just, you know, charismatic preaching. Oh, okay. I mean, again, I haven't seen the movie. I've just, I assumed that's what they were going with. Like, again, to put them in uh, steep contrast. Like, you know, the successful kind of pastor of a mega church versus, you know, the struggling earnest pastor from just a small poor church yeah no it's way more nuanced than that the, actually okay. the only point the only point of criticism i have other than the one i'll get to with the ending <laughs> i'll speak <laughs> to the third act in a second but the only point of criticism i have is that this movie's filled with nuance except for that villainous chemical company mm, uh, yes poisoning the CEO. earth <laughs> and soon I, I have to leave my chemical plant so i can go buy some dinosaurs off some far off <laughs> island yeah <laughs> John, you're not far off because there's only one scene that he has with Ethan Hawke, and that develops his animus. And unfortunately, like if he does, if he does want to act out against this guy and and you know reverse, a he's got to know that you know just taking out the CEO won't won't reverse climate change. <laughs> okay, but b to have to have him develop that animus only after after only one encounter, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't quite make sense. So maybe maybe you could you know rework it there a little bit. Okay. I'll just say, you know, well-effective thriller. You know, the machine is working. The machine's going great. However, at one point, it, this machine sprouts wings. Okay. And then a ramp, a small ramp, starts to develop. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, and we got to get to the taxi driver conclusion. Let's go. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And to continue my analogy, our our well-oiled machine has turned into a flying machine <laughs> from the early 20th century, <laughs> particularly the one that goes down a tiny ramp, loops, and lands on its head. <laughs> oh, I was hoping it was the big seventh stack wing one <laughs> that just collapses. <laughs> no. Okay. No, because at least you know that that is a functional flying machine. Here, I don't know what the hell he was trying to say. <laughs> okay. And my pastor actually spoke to it in uh, in last Sunday's sermon. It's like, have you seen this movie? Oh my gosh! Oh, well, oh yeah, he he's because he's an academic pastor as well. Like, there's references to Tom. Like, this is his movie. Oh, okay, yeah, and he's also he's a very sophisticated guy. He's he's not a uh, he's not a God's not dead kind of preacher. He's more a first reformed kind of preacher. So oh, okay, it's these kind of movies that he likes, but. Yeah, if if you just want to avoid spoilers here, just skip the next five minutes and just assume that yes, it's a great thriller until these these last moments I'm going to describe. Spoiler alarm. Okay, wah, everybody's wah, left. Yeah, everybody's left. Yep, we're good. Okay. <laughs> the the young man that uh, the pastor was trying to help has committed suicide, widowing his uh, poor wife. Mm-hmm. Pregnant. At wife. one point, a pregnant wife. Yes, pregnant wife too. Um, at one point, she comes over and they have this drug trip. Okay. And kind of fly through. Yeah, that requires them to lie on top of each other. It's not sexual in any way. Hmm. Or at least I don't think it's supposed to be. Until um, Ethan Hawke has this plan. He's he's taken this young man's suicide vest, and he is going to blow up the chemical company CEO at this 250th celebration. Okay. And it's still a question of like whether he's going to to do it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the the pregnant uh, pregnant woman, young woman shows up. Oh dear. Yes. Exactly. So John, I, he's faced with this tough choice. What is he going to do? Um, the, the 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 show's not starting on time. Where is he? He's still in his little bungalow in the back of the church. What is going to happen? <gasps> and that's yeah. Because um, Cedric the Entertainer is looking for him. Like he's not there. I guess we're gonna have to start without him. And that's when um, Amanda Seyfried, the pregnant woman, comes up. Uh, they see each other across his little uh, his little uh, apartment there, and they share in a deep, passionate kiss. Oh. And then the movie ends. Sweet. <laughs> well, no, I should also explain So it was that, a um, love story the whole time. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> well, I should have also explained at this point, um, Ethan Hawke has ripped the uh, suicide vest off, um, wrapped his body in barbed wire. Mm. I believe he's taken also, not just a shot, um, a couple of fingers worth of Drano. Because, mm. um, again, he's got uh, suicidal inclinations. <laughs> and that's when he makes out with uh, this young woman. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> this is this is true. And look, again, my uh, my pastor spoke to, to some interpretations for this, but okay. obviously, immediately out of the theater, all of us, I was with a bunch of strangers. All of us were like, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> <laughs> again, Greg, it's art. You're supposed to interpret and, your own meaning. I know, Mr. Schrader. This is what you this is what you do best? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> okay, so I I really only know his filmography as taxi driver that's pretty much it as the co-writer well yes he's most famous for yeah writing taxi driver i think i believe he's a sole uh screenwriter for that movie oh really just directed yeah Oh, okay got it but what else has he done everyone's like oh man this guy's had an up and down career i can't name another movie of his (laughs) well exactly when i say independent like very independently minded doing more out there work um with some with some kind of mainstream um his other big movies were like american gigolo oh which is not no, I, I, I would assume Richard Gere, John. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what movie not... am I thinking of? I'm thinking of some kind of gigolo movie with John Turturro in it. Oh, well, I, I it doesn't think matter. Did. Yeah, yeah. 
That's more recent. This was back in the early 80s. Um, oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. He did a great, um, my other favorite film of his is um, a great kind of um, artsy biopic of Yukio Mishima, mm. the Japanese author who uh, wanted to overthrow the company, country and restore power to the emperor. And then everybody laughed at him and he killed himself by seppuku. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a that's a very inter- that's a fascinating uh, biopic with a Philip Glass score, yeah. and then he also did a movie called Autofocus, which was about Bob Crane, the uh, star of Hogan's Heroes, basically being a pornography buddy with a guy named John Carpenter, and um, he died mysteriously. So, hmm. <laughs> or was murdered mysteriously, I should say. <laughs> please, qu- please quantify a pornography buddy. <laughs> um, well, uh, the movie's called Autofocus. Okay. And that is because um, the following uh, the cancellation of Hogan's Heroes, him and his buddy Mr. Carpenter would go to motels and um, surreptitiously film women and uh, do it together. And nice. You know, oh, yeah. friendship. See, the movie's about friendship. <laughs> Just like First Reformed is about romance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now you're getting a, a sense of uh, the kind of material that Paul Schrader gravitates to. Okay. Or conjures up. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. But anyway, First Reformed, go see it. <laughs> Highly recommended from Greg Mantel. Yes, the best Pure Flix movie since Heaven is for Real. <laughs> oh. <laughs> from the makers of the uh, Facing the Giants. And yeah. Courageous. <laughs> Don't forget, uh, I Can Only Imagine. If you loved I Can Only Imagine, you'll love <laughs> Heaven is for Real. <laughs> well, yeah, of course you'll love Heaven is for Real. First Reformed, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> okay. Well, Greg, let's get to it. We've teased them long enough. I went to yes. go see Oceans 8. But, John, I haven't seen Oceans 1 through 7. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> well, I love how they perfectly planned it. So if this does eventually become a trilogy, then it's Oceans 8, 9, 10. 10, uh, yes. Bring us right back to 11. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except but, John, for... this doesn't take place in the past. No. This place takes place in a future where Danny Ocean is dead. Yes, again, they they leave it ambiguous though. I really expected him to show up at the end, but it's okay. They again. No, John, this is a, this is a woman's time. That's true. Let the women have <laughs> hashtag me too. I, that's not what that means, but go ahead. <laughs> hashtag times up. I, also not what that means, but continue. Um, need to, need so yes, you apparently, uh, Danny Ocean had the sister played by Sandra Bullock, who is also mm-hmm. a con woman. And uh, she ended up in prison because she was betrayed by a fellow con man. So she uh, concocts the scheme to steal... Never trust anybody. (laughs) No. (laughs) Is there no honor among thieves? Actually, I want to see see a movie centered around con men where there is no betrayal. I think that would be a more interesting twist. (laughs) Nice. See, it, it, this is this goes back to your love of Incredibles too. It's like, well, <laughs> it's not great at it, but I like that it's not great at what it's trying to do. <laughs> I appreciate that it's trying. It's all about the effort. Um, so she concocts this scheme to steal this priceless necklace from the Met Gala and then also frame the guy who betrayed her for doing it. And that's okay. kind of the biggest problem. Whereas the original Ocean's Eleven, they kind of perfectly weaved the whole heist and revenge scheme together and here they kind of feel like two separate entities and the problem is structurally with the movie is they pull off the heist uh obviously not super without a hitch but pretty successfully all things considered (laughs) and then they we get a fourth act involving uh james Gordon as an insurance broker and they he's investigating what happened to the necklace and so that's how they frame them and it just kind of feels so tacked on and it doesn't really gel with the rest of the story and there's no real twist to it yeah are we talking like 
girl with the dragon tattoo David Fincher movie where it's a completely different movie for the last like 30 minutes? No, it's just kind of like they frame him for it. And it's not like it's okay. clever. It's just like, oh, you know, he had the necklace all along. You're going to jail, buddy. Like <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So well, I mean, it sounds like it sounds laborious and doesn't quite fit. Like no, like it doesn't it really another... fit. No, it it yeah. just kind of tacks on an extra 15 minutes to the movie that didn't really feel necessary. Um, okay. And then of course there's the real kind of twist, which is like, oh, it, the, you thought we were trying to steal this necklace? Yeah, that was actually the misdirection. Um, and then obviously, what? I won't spoil, yeah, I won't spoil what they actually steal, but it's not important because it's fine. The whole movie's fine. <laughs> do, well, do they steal their individuality, John? <laughs> do they steal their feminine power? Like what? They steal back their feminine power, Greg. You, yeah, you I thought, it right I thought the idea. Yeah, I thought the idea of this movie would be to. Basically, not just not just be Ocean of Eleven, but the twist is all women, but more kind of speak to that theme a little bit more. Because I know this is a movie by Gary Ross, who's a filmmaker that I admire. Um, however, he hasn't done any hot stuff in the last about ugh, 10 years. Okay, uh, you're not going to change your mind based on this film. Um, okay. <laughs> again, it suffers from the Jurassic Park problem, which is you inevitably want to compare it to Ocean's Eleven, and Ocean's Eleven, this is not. I mean, okay. not for sake of trying. Again, I do think it is at least admirable to at least make this movie from a woman's perspective. But again, he does not have the talent of Steven Soderbergh and it definitely does not have the style. It does not have the energy or the kind of kinetic flow that that movie had. That movie felt very unique. It had this, you know, pacing to it that this movie just completely lacks, but the, the cast is trying and they're doing a really good job and they're all having fun. Like that's what these movies are. They're just vacations for their cast really. <laughs> and so since they're all having a good time, we're all having a good time and you can't really blame them for that. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds like a ringing endorsement from you. Hey, watch uh, eight women have a vacation for two hours. <laughs> watch them have a good time in New York. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, again, the cast is good, uh, except for Rihanna. I don't know why everyone likes Rihanna. She cannot act worth a damn. I don't know why everyone <laughs> thinks she can act. She is not good at all. Um, so I, I don't, and, uh, what people are you hearing saying that she can act? <laughs> like all the cast are like, oh my God, Ray Ray, she's in this movie and she's doing great. She's like, no, she's not. She's playing like a stoner hacker thing. And all she does okay. is just play on a computer. That's the other problem with the movie. Obviously, inevitably, they have, you know, the complications to the heist. But it's nothing yeah. that they can't resolve, like, instantly. Like, the big kind of complication is, oh, it has a magnetic clasp that you need a special key to unlock so they can't get it off Anne Hathaway's neck. But then they just get one of those special clasps anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not so, really a complication. Yeah. Wait, does one of them even get captured, or get, somebody gets clued in on their plan? And I mean, kind of. Again, the the twist is supposed to be yes, they succeed in getting the necklace, but then it's like, are they going to get pitched by uh, pinched by James, uh, uh, James Corden? Uh, which, oh no! Yeah, which, <laughs> God forbid that the doughy British man is coming after us. <laughs> exactly. So he's not really a threat, and again, he's not playing like a broad caricature either. So it's like it's this weird middle ground where it's like, how seriously are we supposed to take this character? It's that's why he really doesn't work in this movie. I mean, again, let's stick to five-minute carpool karaoke videos, okay? Let's not put them in movies, guys. Come on. Man, I, ho I hope it was worth it, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but again, the rest of the movie is fine. It's fine. Uh, everyone's having a good time. Kate Blanchett is fine in the movie. She's Her character's kind of weird. She's coded as being like a lesbian for some reason. She's like kind of the tough Wait, But not one. Sarah Paulson's character? No, because Sarah Paulson... Who is, who is an action, actual lesbian, and <laughs> wants to be represented in her, most of her work, so I'm, and I'm thankful for that, but... No, Sarah Paulson, she's supposed to be, like, the doting housewife, 
who has this, you know, this other side to her that she doesn't reveal to her family. The other and thing I'm too is that never comes that never comes to the fore. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting when we first introduce her, they show that she has this kind of like Amazon scheme where she buys bulk and then sells at a higher rate or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's when she's first confronted in her kind of perfect suburban garage. She has like nine million packaged mountain bikes and like ten thousand popcorn makers. She has all this like random crap that it's clearly she has some kind of scheme to resell and make money off of. You know, okay. like, because why else would her garage be packed with, like, it looks like an Amazon fulfillment center. <laughs> All right. But she's quite good in it. Everyone's good, except for Rihanna, so, and James Gordon, <laughs> so. But it's fine. It's fine. Okay. It's not Wait, a, but who's the bad guy? Again, that guy who betrayed Sandra Bullock at the, in the first act. Well, no, I know who, who plays him, I should ask. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe that maybe there is a casting issue, not just between Rihanna, who's kind of buying her way into these blockbusters. It sounds like, but yeah, just stick to you know making disrupting the makeup industry. Yeah, let's just say he's no Andy Garcia. So again, he doesn't yeah, leave exactly, much of an yeah. impression. Guy, yeah. So yeah, and then also uh, Anne Hathaway's having a good time. So you know she's playing like kind of a a broad character of herself, where it's like she's supposed to be like a down Wait, to herself. <laughs> well, again, it's like she's playing off this whole concept of being like. To the camera, she's like a down-to-earth celebrity who, you know, who's not all kept up. But again, it's like it's a very carefully crafted facade. Do you get okay. what I'm saying? Oh. oh, I thought she was more of like an, an airhead, uh, uh, a bridge out of touch heiress or something like that. Well, no, the whole idea is that to the cameras, she plays like she's down-to-earth. Like, I'm just like one of you. And then behind the scenes, she has that kind of like heiress, I'm better than everybody else kind of thing. Oh, got it. <laughs> yeah, if that makes any sense. Okay. Yeah. No, it... Sort of, I guess. <laughs> I, again, I don't follow the tabloid life of <laughs> Anne Hathaway, so I can't really speak to it. But anyway, well, you are missing out, my friend. It is a roller coaster. Great. Recently, we like her. Or her, hate ba- her? I, well, I mean, we like her now because her baby was torn away from her and she got her hair shaved. What? I'm talking about Late Rob. Oh, got I'm it. Making up Late we'll Miserable. God, keep up. <laughs> John, that was an hour ago. <laughs> Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this little recap of uh, movies that are out in theaters. Um, I think our overall impression is uh, not worth it. No, I think this whole this whole movie thing is a racket. If I had to, if I had to rate, talk to your family, have a game night. Oh, Greg, they don't want to talk. They want to watch talk shows. They don't want to play games. They want to play game shows. Play games. Exactly. Watch game shows. Prove. (laughs) Yeah. Prove the villain of Incredibles too wrong. Yes. Real talks to your family and real games. Play real games with your friends. And instead, listen to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Oh, yeah. Or use any well, of those. Well, particularly our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Don't well, just listen to any random I was getting Apple to podcast. it. Okay, gosh. <laughs> All right. You're so yeah. impatient. Yes. Rate us five stars. Come on. Subscribe. Please. <laughs> we won't beg. Again, we talked about sponsorship earlier. You just heard this great uh, consumer advice ad-free. Completely ad-free. Exactly. And all we ask of you in return is to give us mm-hmm. a five-star review. And then, if you're so inclined, go to our Facebook page or our Twitter page and give us a follow, mm-hmm. give us a like, and you'll be up to date on all the latest news coming out of Aspirant Snobs. We're on the book. Mm-hmm. We're on the twy. Not on the gram, <laughs> but we'll get there. Yep, we'll get there. Once Not we... on the chat. i got to build up some content first. You know. Yes. i got a trip to the Bahamas planned, so obviously you know, i got some free hotel stays because I'm an influencer. <laughs> John, again, we want to downplay the, the no sponsorship things. Oh, I guess that's true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> got to build up that content. And in true content creator style, next week we've got nothing. No. <laughs> nothing on the docket. 
<laughs> we're taking, we're a, taking week a week off. off. Yes. Yeah. We're exhausted. You exhaust us. <laughs> <laughs> going to the, go, finding these movies is tough. Sometimes sitting through them is tough. But uh, we do it just for you. If I had to give a score, I'd say the movie-going experience is a 6 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, John, speaking of um, sitting through um, arduous movies... <laughs> We do have one other treat for folks. Stay tuned next week because we will be we will be giving you some content, but it's not yeah. a traditional podcast. It'll be in an audio format, but uh, it'll be a great accoutrement to uh, another a wonderful movie that's celebrating its anniversary this year. Yes. So, so look forward to that. We won't. We won't. We won't. We will, again, we're just such teases. We're such ooh. We're such, yeah. We coquettishly, you know, tease you guys. <laughs> but that's all for now. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Keep aspiring. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Once again. But Main Street's still all cracked and broken. Sorry, Mom, the mob is spoken. Mono, don't.